for coming along. I know sometimes it's not easy coming to church for the first time, and that hill is a killer. Well aware of that. Um, we were going to level it out, but we found out that we would be down at the mini roundabout as she came by the Royal School, so we said no to that. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming. Hope that Jesus meet you this morning, that you engage with him, and that's our one thing this morning, more than anything. We hope that you receive a welcome, but more than anything, we hope that you encounter Jesus, uh, because Jesus is so good, and he's the best thing that happened to a lot of people in this room this morning. So we're engaging in a brand new conversation um, called Slow, and uh, the reason being is before we get into the crazy of autumn and the crazy of Christmas and everything else, as Michelle says, uh, pointed out in some way. Did you see her t-shirt this morning, Sunday? She's cost me a fortune. She's got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday too. So, um, anyway, that's by the side. What? Okay. Don't talk to me. I won't talk to you. And I guess we'll get along a lot better. This part. This is just for this this part. And um, So yeah, the, the autumn and the leaves change, and I think it's a great signal for us that things are changing, that there's a slow coming, and sometimes as human beings we rather do more, and rather um, create more and consume more than actually slow. And we need to learn that the, great, the greatest gift to us as human beings, regardless of the seasons, is limits. Limits. The one thing that we can't make more of, right? Buy more of. We can't create more of is time. And I don't know about you, but we just can't get enough of it in this culture. We just can't get enough of time. And I don't know about you, but it's more probably even a guy saying, when you ask the question, how's your week? What's the, what's the most common answer for how's your week? How's your day? Busy. And those who are not busy lie, right? Because you feel if I say I'm not busy, what will they say about Have you ever met people that just say, no, how was your week? Not busy. It's good. It's good. Anybody like that? I want you, here's what you do this week, just for the fun. This is just a fun element this morning in the conversation. Ask about five people this week, what do you present this thing? Ask five people, how's your week going? How's your day going? And see what the common answer is. Busy. We feel the need to say that we are busy. And if you don't feel that pressure, if you don't think that you're busy, you just lie, don't you? You lie, you say, I'm busy. Because it's a common denominator of most of our lives here in the West that we are really, really busy. We're busy with work life. And here's what I've also discovered. We're also busy with our play life and fun life. Have you noticed that? So not just anymore is the limits on our work life where we're working harder, we're working more, and it's just relentless. But also then, not on top of that, we have this play life, we have this pleasure, we have this fun. So you know it's like? You've got to try this. Have you been here yet? Have you seen this? Have you tried it? Have you had it? Have you drank it? They've just opened a new one, right? Haven't been there yet, must get to it. I'll get to it next week. And it's ever, ever increasing. It's fun, doesn't seem fun anymore because there's just limits on that. And we are full to capacity. And the frantic pace of that, we lose our peace and our joy. We are a world of 24-7 frantic uh, multitasking people in order to achieve, to accomplish, to perform, and to possess. That's what we do, people. And it's dangerous for the soul, it's dangerous for your family, it's dangerous for our community. Our system of consumerism requires us that we have more. Not only that, want more, own more, use more, eat more, drink more. And the culmination is restlessness and anxiety. Restlessness and anxiety. Restlessness 
coming Saturday. But what if there was a practice? What if there was a practice? What if there was a, a Jesus way to eliminate that anxiety? What if there was a practice in our culture today that helped us find restfulness and peace instead of anxiety? I think there is. Would you pray with me this morning as we engage with the ancient scriptures and cause life to flow out of them this morning? Father God, you're so kind, you're so good. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're in us, but we know that you also come upon us in the most beautiful and tangible ways. You refresh, you refuel, you open up our hearts and our minds, and you, you help us to see the life in the world in a whole new different way. Father God, we thank you for your just outrageous, generous love towards us. God, we've sang about it, we've experienced it. And Holy Spirit, you are our best friend. We love your intimacy, your friendship, your closeness that's here right now. Would you stay? Would you stay just a while longer and rest on us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to take us to a system that was far removed from anyone experiencing any, any hint of restfulness this morning. It's a system of a guy called Pharaoh. If you want to turn there, just as we're getting set up, Exodus 5, does anybody need a Bible? If you need a Bible, anybody, wave your hand if you want a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. It's our gift to you this morning. Anybody need a Bible? If not, use your phone, use your tablet, whatever you need to engage with the ancient scriptures. We want to encourage you to begin the practice and become a regular occurrence in your life of opening the scriptures that bring life and give us an experience of who Jesus really is. Okay, so there's a system in scripture. The story is Moses and Aaron. They, they go to Pharaoh, they ask Pharaoh, who's the Israelite, He's the head of the religious authority. He's the king of the country, the nation. He's the most powerful man in their universe, in their world as they know it. So they go to him because they've been um, kept in slavery. And things are getting really, really tough. And so they, they're going to ask him that they can have a party. That's what they want to do. They, they want to go and celebrate God. They want to have a feast. There's that thing of eating and drinking again. It's a common thread throughout the ancient scriptures of eating and drinking. They want to feast a celebration. And their quest does not go well at all. Let's open up the ancient scriptures this morning to Exodus 5, 4, 9. Let me know if you're there. Are you there? Say yes. Okay. Verse 4. Here's the, the reply after the request. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go, and rather gather their own straw. But, but listen to this. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. This is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to their lies. Then there's a good news factor. There's this remarkable good news. I don't know about you, but after that request, you might be saying to Moses, if you're one of the slaves in that community, you might be saying, if you haven't left well enough alone, right? 
just made things worse for us. But miraculously, miraculously and remarkably, God comes through. And the way of Israel is that they have freedom. They discover freedom. They're delivered from Pharaoh's anxiety system. Do you hear that? They're delivered from Pharaoh's anxiety system. And they arrive in the wilderness and they have bread. It's a God thing. Bread is a good thing. There's this bread thing again. And the good thing is that they get it free of charge and they get it every day. And uh, it's called manna. Manna just means, what is it? I love that. I think it's very humorous. The Bible's very humorous, isn't it? So they come up with this word, what is it? So what would we call it? Just Let's call it, what is it? Manna. And that's what they call it. What is it? So they arrive, they get it every day. But they're told, don't, you can't stockpile it. Don't stockpile this bread. They can use it daily, but there's one exception, and there's a big except here. On the sixth day, they get to collect bread to last for two days. So you with me? You, you with me? You don't stockpile during the week, but on the sixth day, there's a big exception. You get to gather two days worth of bread. Two days worth of bread. So they get to rest, they get to pause, they get to slow down on the seventh day. Are we okay? This is important. Okay, then flick over your, if you have paper, flick over to chapter 16. Verse 22, if you're on a tablet, it's way easier to get there on a the phone. Uh, if you do have a smartphone, I encourage you to download an app called Uversion. It's really, really good. It's really handy. How to get you there quick. And it says this, 16.22. says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two owners for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until the morning. And so they saved it until the morning, and Moses com- as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, this is a good thing, or get maggots in it. Just a pre-lunch text for you this morning. I was reading this this week, and I came across a beautiful book that I would recommend you called, it's by Walter Brueggemann, it's on Sabbath. And he puts it beautifully. I want you to listen to his words, and allow it to fuel your resistance to a naughty culture to a no limits culture. Can I, let me read this for you. This unexpected provision, this is the story of the Exodus. This is the story of the manna. This is the story of gathering twice on the sixth day. And this is Walter Brueggemann's um, ex, expert from that, or excerpt from that. This unexpected provision is surely a sign that this bread for life is not under the demanding governance of Pharaoh. It is under the sustaining rule of the Creator God. Even in the wilderness with scarce resources, God mandates a pause from Sabbath for form Sabbath for the community. Let me read that again because I got a bit muddled up there. God mandates a pause for Sabbath for the community. Do you get that? The regime of Pharaoh. Now some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, no, Sabbath's not for me. Sabbath is for people that I just I just I'm too busy, I'm too 
too uh, overworked. I've got so much going on in my life. But listen to this. We don't live under the resources of a pharaoh. We don't live under the resources of this world. We put our trust in Yahweh God, who is a great provider of our community, the community of faith. And when we do that, he gives us this great gift. And I think the mandate still stands today, that there is a pause for Sabbath for community. Sabbath is our gift. It's our gift to our community. A practice to, to slow down. It's the Father's gift of restfulness. So countercultural, isn't it? That we would even talk about it. Even to talk about it, some of your minds are just going, it's, Sabbath is for lazy people. You might not articulate it that way, but that's what you're thinking. I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have the time or the capacity to do that. But we're traveling, we're journeying on with that. And I hope that our conclusion today is that I need this gift. The Father's gift of restfulness that effectively counters the, the restless anxiety of the world. We still live under a feral regime of doing more, earn more, make more, produce more. And it ends up in anxiety and restlessness. So I want to start a restful resolution, a quiet revolution that, that just is so countercultural. It's, it's kind of revolutionary in our in our day and age, when we live in this digital age, we're consumed with 24-hour news, with 24-7 multitasking, we, we eat more, we drink more, we consume more, we want to own more, we want to produce more, we want to possess more, and it's not helping. In a world that glorifies busyness, we need to stop, to pause, and say no to the limits. Accept the limits, and get the gift of rest that the Father so, so wants for us. I want to help us to practice Sabbath. The thing about this Sabbath is that it's a, it's a gift that I've experienced. Back in 2006, church nearly killed me. In all seriousness, I was burnt out, worn out. I wasn't in a good place. My anxiety was through the roof. Um, I was depressed. I didn't know it. Went to the doctor. Ended up in antidepressants. Uh, I was not in a very good place. I just went too fast, too far, too soon. I was managing a full-time job in Belfast, a business that was brand new, brand new brand, uh, trying to create a brand, trying to create a sustainable business that was brand new. Now, that was hard enough. We had three kids. Uh, at the time, we uh, planted a church, we moved house, and uh, things were kind of relentless, to say the least. And I came across this gift of Sabbath, and it changed my life. It helped me to love our community, the place where I lived, instead of resenting it. It helped me to love the community of faith, this place called Family, Vineyard Church Dungana, not again to be resentful. See, if you're not in a restful place, if you're in an anxious place, you can also get very close to a resentful place in your heart, where everything becomes the enemy. Everything becomes the enemy. But this gift of Sabbath probably saved our marriage, our church, my life, and here we are, one big happy family. Let's give it up for Sabbath. Okay, relax. So turn to the scriptures, to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Genesis 1. We're just going to read small, small verses. We're going to start at the beginning. That's what Genesis means. It just means the beginning. 
In Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Don't you just love that? The anticipation of what the Spirit of God was doing. And then flick over. Well, I have to flick over because I'm in this huge, huge print and you've got like four pages for one chapter. So, But it works for me. Age and stage. 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. The sixth day. God is working six days. He's created this beautiful, beautiful planet. Creatures, creation, separates water and land, stars, sun, moon, the whole shebang. I don't know if you believe it's a literal six days or not. I don't think that's the issue. I don't think you have to believe that or not. I think we can all differ on that. But I think that we can all conclude that what he made was beautiful. And he did a fantastic, fantastic job. He did a magnificent job. Let's go over to chapter 2. Genesis 2, if you're still there. If I was smart enough, I would have kept my Bible open because it takes half an hour for me now to get to the pages. You doing okay? Genesis 2, 1 to 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their fast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That he had done. God rested. Let that sink in. God rested. God rested. But I've got a lot to be getting on with. God rested. God rested. But you, you don't know my schedule. You, you don't know I'm not that type of person. I'm a type A person. I just can't relax. I need to be doing something all the time. But God rested. Do you get it? God rested. But, but, but I have responsibilities and I've got stuff to take care of. And if I don't keep my foot to the pedal and keep pressing, then things are going to get out of hand and I'm going to be ever chasing my tail. But listen, God rested. God God, the creator of the universe, God, the most high God who created everything and sustains everything, through him all things are created, God rested. Don't you think you could give yourself a break and rest? Or are you beyond God? Surely not. Surely not. God, God, you know God. You know God. He rested. God rested. He rested. God rested after six days, and it wasn't that he was burnt out, it wasn't that he was wiped out, but it was like this rest. This, this is the language of the scriptures. This is the, the language of the ancient scriptures in the Hebrew context. It's this he sat back. He sat back from all that it made. And he thought, wow, I'm going to drink it all in. Like Michelle said, sitting in her favorite chair, I'm guessing, in our kitchen. Looking out and saying, wow, wow, drink it all in. Drink it all in. When's the last time you even stopped to pause to recognize what God is doing? Even our prayers and our, our prayer life are frantic. They're, they're more or less on our prayer lists, right? We need to learn to be with Jesus. 
We need to learn how to be with God. And if you're not resting, if you're not pausing, if you're not drinking it in, it's going to be very hard to be with Jesus. To pause. To drink in. It's a bloody sits back and I think of him on a veranda. Like an American type wooden house. Where he has this big overview and he's sitting back in the heavens with angels and it's all song and beautiful. And he takes a look out and goes, wow, it's good. This is very, very good. So Sabbath is not just a day of rest and pause. You know what? It also can be translated in, in Hebrew culture to celebrate. Celebrate. When's the last time you paused and rested and celebrated with your family and your friends and spent time more present with people that you love and people that you want to make time for? Guys, we spend most of our time with the people we don't want to be with because we don't have time to be with the people that we want to be with. Right? It's wacky. Now, if I've spent uh, a regular piece of time with you this week, this is not in context. All right? I love everyone in the room and you're a great bunch of people to be with. But I'm serious. I'm serious. We don't know how to celebrate. We don't know how to rest. We don't know how to breathe in and take it all in. You sit down and you enjoy a day set aside for delight. A day set about for delight. I think the church gets nervous with delight. But here's our concept with delight. Here's, our, here's the furniture in our head. Anything that's fun, you know where I'm going. Anything that's delightful, it's got to be sinful. That's the conclusion. When God created us to, to delight in him. Any Presbyterians in the room? Or who were Presbyterians? Or life vineyardians? Well, what, what is the, what's the purpose of life? Man's chief end is to... And... How do you enjoy him forever? You delight in life and creation and friends and people and the things that are around you. I had a beautiful scooter run this morning to, uh, to hear. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Well, you've got to hear it, Anna, because I've got a mic. <laughs> so I'm driving down the road and I see, don't even think about it, <laughs> chestnuts. Now, you're thinking, huh? do you know how excited I get about chestnuts? When we lived in Derry, we'd have to walk two or three miles, and you got sticks, and you threw them up. And I looked today, and they were, I thought to myself, the world's gone mad. There's all these chestnuts in the road, and there's not a being out to pick them up. I, th I thought it was our day, there'd be like, there was jungle drums, there was no rifles, or we'd have smoke signals, and everybody from Lincoln Courts would have been out there picking them up, because they were on the ground, and not one stick would need to be thrown. And then I headed on up, and here comes this electric light, Harley-Davidson. And here's me in the Vespa, one, two, five, with a wee fox tail on the back, just to make me look cute. So, get up the road, and I see this beautiful Harley Davidson, and sometimes I get intimidated with these big Harley Davidson guys, but they're not. So the guy gives me this big smile and does this here. Well, I'm holding on tight. I'm not waving back because I just do this sort of thing. So if I'm waving back and I'm smiling. It's small, but it's important that we stop and we breathe and we drink in what's good and what's beautiful, what fills and fuels the soul. Does that make sense to you this morning? Sabbath is a day to treasure and delight. When's the last time you delighted in your family and your friends? 
When's the last time you did that? Is your Bible still open? Genesis 1 and 2, if you're still there. In Genesis 1 and 2, God blesses three, three things. This is really important that you get your head around this. Because there's so many of us will fight this, resist this to the very last breath. I meet people all the time. I've been practicing Sabbath for years and years and years now. And it's a resource to my life, my sustainability, to be a husband, a dad, a pastor, a preacher, and an all-round decent fella. I want you to hear what God blesses in Genesis 1. Okay, so in Genesis 1, 22, are you there? What does he bless? One at a time, please. Please don't all be shouting out. Genesis 1, 22, what does he bless? The animals, creation. Are you with me? Okay. Genesis 1, 28, what does he bless? We're going to be here all day. Humanity. People, you, I, our descendants. He does that. And then, what does he bless in 2? Chapter 2, 3, he blesses three things in creation. He blesses animals, he blesses creation. And then, what is the third thing he blesses? Time. A day. He blesses time and a day. And here's my thing in this. He says to the animals... And he says, says to humanity, because he can't speak to a day and he can't speak to time, right? Because it just is. He says to animals, I want you to reproduce. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be productive. And then he says to humanity, which is a good thing, he says, I want you to be productive. I want you to produce. I want you to multiply. I want you to be fruitful. And here's my point in this. Life is exhausting. Right? Life is pretty exhausting. It doesn't matter what age and stage you are at. You know, we used to think that, like, even I'm, I'm, I'm sounding like an old person this morning. See, am I moaning? If I'm moaning, just say, Jason, you're moaning. Okay, no whining. Dave Workman taught us girls, no whining, no spitting. Okay, I don't spit, but sometimes I whine. So just say, stop whining, okay? But here it is. Here it is. We, we, regardless of your age and stage, young people are finding limits in their lives. They're, they're, they just feel the, the pressure of limits, right? of time. Summers are flying in. Time is flying in. Everything is, is quicker and faster. There's just no, 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 no. We're fine. It doesn't matter. If you're retired, people are finding weeks. And f- I, I meet retired people and I'm saying, well, what's it like being retired? I've never been busier. Okay. I've never been busier. And by the end of your week, even if you love what you do, see, this is the other argument. Oh, you know, it's not work to me. I've ne- you know, and then we just live in a world of cliches sometimes, don't we? I've never worked a day in my life. Sorry? I've never worked, I wouldn't call it work. I love what I do. I've never worked a day in my life. But even if you love what you do, even if you thrive in what you do, your body, your mind has limitations. By the end of the week, guys, if you love what you do and you give it your best as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should give it your best. You should be a good steward in your workplace, a good employee, a good employer. If you're giving your best, if you're, if you're steward in your life, well, well, I would say you've got to be tired by the end of the week. It just happens unless you are... Steve Austin, the six million dollar man. There we go with the age thing again. If you're Steve Austin, the six million dollar man, you will be wrecked. And you and people say, oh, I'm not wrecked. I'm not wrecked. 
You're closing your eyes. I'm just resting. You're wrecked. Even if you love what you do, we get, we get wrecked. But here's my thing. Animals reproduce and are productive. Humanity reproduces and are productive. Restfulness and Sabbath helps us to replenish, to be reproductive and to be flourishing people and communities so that we can produce and be fruitful. If you don't rest, if you don't stop and pause, then you're going to be unproductive. Unproductive. If we rest, if we pause, it leads to thriving and flourishing people, flourishing communities and thriving families. There is no doubt about that. Okay, Genesis 2 and 3. Again, and God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I love the thought, this idea. Has, if if um, anybody ever been to a college that studies scripture or you've done it online uh, at Portland, Oregon, we did a bit of stuff. They called it the principle of first mention. Have you heard of it? It's the first time that the word is mentioned in ancient scriptures. And so if you come across a doctrine or a, a theme, a teaching of God, what you're meant to do is you're going to find it where it's first mentioned in the scriptures. And so therefore people say, well, the tithe is, is, is a law thing. No, the tithe was away before the law because the first principle of mentioning scripture when it comes to tithe is found in way in Genesis with a priest called Machesilde. Have you read that? So we don't, anyway, that was just to try and get a wee bit more money out of this. But by the way, that's by the way, that's by the way. So anyway, this first mention of holy is mentioned for a time and a day. So it's kind of, it's kind of nerdy, but I like that sort of stuff. The first time you hear the word holy is not to do with a person, not even a place, but space, time, day, hours. Minutes, they didn't have that. Sun up, sundown. That's the first mention of the word holy. There's a guy called a rabbi called Abraham Joshua Heschel. He said this, and I just took this one part of reading about Sabbath this week. He said this, which really captured my imagination and my heart. He said, Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Now, let me explain that. God is everywhere. He's no longer in buildings, right? We here, followers of Jesus, we, we recognize that the, the Spirit of God lives in the heart of humanity, that he indwells us. That'll tilt your head, right? Just even think about that, that the Holy Spirit would dwell within humanity. So he does. So therefore, we're no, no longer, we're no longer tasked to buildings and, and places and spaces or even atmosphere, but God is absolutely everywhere we are. And so what Sabbath does, it's our great cathedral, it means that every day we wake up on the Sabbath rest, we know that God is close and God is near. We recognize the closeness of Yahweh God who is around us and about us, in us and through us. Isn't it beautiful? The Sabbath is our great cathedrals. The Sabbath is the thing that points to the glory of God. It recognizes that he is near, he is with us, and he is present. I love that. I love that. There is a day that is blessed that produces life and is holy. There is a day. There is a day that blesses, that is blessed. It produces vibrant living, and it's also holy. And when we don't take God's gift, the invitation to Sabbath, this might sound harsh, but I've experienced it. Uh, I've read a lot about it. Talked to people. I've been about it enough now. I'm going to say that 
you reap the consequences. You reap the consequences when we don't take the gift of invitation to rest and to pause and to celebrate and to acknowledge and just to breathe in so that we can be replenished and be fruitful. When we don't do that, there's consequences. I, I have personally experienced the consequences. For me, it was, I was emotionally unhealthy. Emotionally unhealthy. Mentally unwell. Those are just some of the things. Our creativity goes down. Our best thinking goes. Our best practices go. Have you ever worked hard and you just keep pushing and pushing into the, to the night and you, and you think I should stop? And then what happens when you keep pushing over your limits? What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the one thing that starts to happen? Let me help you with it. You start to make mistakes. Have you, done, have you, ever, have you noticed that? Because your body can't hold that. Your mind can't hold that. There are limitations to your life. God knows how you're wired. He made you. Do not think that you are God. Just accept this gift of rest. It's a holy day. It's a blessed day. And it's a good day for all of us. Dallas Willard said this. Hurry is the enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the enemy of spiritual life in our day. So God, he blesses it and he commands it. Exodus 16, if you want to... Go there. Exodus 16. You can find it in your phones very quickly. If you've got page, turn over. It's not too far from Genesis. It's the next chapter. So Genesis 16 to 22 to 23. Let me read. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much. Two owners for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. This is what he commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. There's this word again. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. To bake what you want to bake, and to boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. What does that word mean, holy? Well, we've got all kinds of connotations with it in Northern Ireland, right? So a holy Sabbath, when I was growing up, meant that my man Dan never let me play football on a Sunday. Right? So then you used to take the ball up your back. <laughs> what were you thinking? Or <laughs> up your jumper and you walk past the side of the house. And you head up to the painting's houses, which were all the painters lived in, and then you kick ball up against their gable wall. Delightful young kids, weren't we? So that, that's what it meant for me. A holy day, a Sabbath day, you didn't play football and you didn't read the newspapers. So we did shop a little. We used to buy a block of ice cream from the like, Patrick Day for Sunday lunch and they wrapped it up in a newspaper. Memories. Huh? I am so old. Not as old as some of you out there. <laughs> they didn't even have newspapers. <laughs> Guys, what I want to say to that, it's, it's, that word holy means that it's, it's devoted to. It's a devotion to. So who's the devotion to? The devotion to God. So Sabbath is not just a day of rest. It's not just a day of blessing. It's not just a holy day. It's also a day to worship. It's a day to worship. It's a day for worship. It's more than being busy and living in a digital world that's more than just relaxing it's, it's a day to worship and delight so here's a marker for me okay this is just very practical this is my grid for Sabbath if it's not worship if it feels like work then I don't do it and for all of us that's different right for some of you guys like exercising for me is just like <laughs> boke right so I did a bit of exercise this morning because this is my work day again. I, first day of the week for me. Sunday's the first day of the week. Come and, and speak to all you beautiful people. See all your beautiful faces. And it doesn't really feel like work. I've never worked a day in my life. <laughs> but 
But for some of you, it's like running. It's just like worship. You delight in God. You just feel alive. You just, you just love to run. Now, to me, it's just like, please, Lord Jesus, come back. Like right now. Yeah, I don't want to do that. So that's your grade. That's your grade. Is it worship or is it work? Is it worship or is it work? So my big point is here. This, here this, here's, a big, here's another big point today. I need you to hear this if you're going to get Sabbath at all. Sabbath is not a day off. Sabbath is not just another day off. On a day off, you don't get paid for what you do, but what do you do? You do everything else that you didn't get to do during the week. You don't get paid for it, but you cut the grass, you fix the car, you go here, you go there, you paint the fence, you wax the fence, wax on, wax off, wash the car, clean the car, shower the car, go to the bank, don't go to the bank, paint, work, grocery shop, all that money that you earned all week, you go and you consume, you consume, and you consume, and you consume, and you wonder why you're tired. You wonder why you're tired. It's not a day off. And it's not a day off. It's not a day to fix things or buy more or spend more. Sabbath is a day, listen, 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 listen. Sabbath is a day to rest and worship. To rest and to worship. Okay, let's move on. We'll be finished in the next couple of minutes. Is that a literal six days? <laughs> is that a literal couple of minutes? Exodus 24:30. Starting 24, obviously. So they saved it until morning. This is when they gathered all the stuff again. You remember that? Don't gather every day, or gather every day, but don't gather for the next day because it'll go, it'll go bad. But on the sixth day, gather for two days so that you can rest, replenish, delight, rest, and worship. So they did that. So they saved until morning as Moses commanded. And guess what? It did not stink or get maggots in it. Yay! Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you're to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. And here is humanity. And there's some of us sitting in the black chairs today. And here is our phrase. Nevertheless, things need to be done. Nevertheless, if it's got to be, it's up to me. Nevertheless, you don't know my situation. You're not God. God rested. God rested. Okay. Listen to this. This is very important. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Surprise, surprise. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? I feel sorry for Moses. Moses gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Like, people are making mistakes, and there's God saying to Moses, 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 how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? But I would say, God's not me, it's those people. And, and the, the last time when we got all the work, you know, I, I was only trying to do a wee favour, trying to pull you out of a, of a hole and trying to make life easier for us so that we go and feast and celebrate, but we've got more work. And here he is again, here he is again. Poor Moses is getting the rap for it. And here's the most liberating and freeing text, I think, around Sabbath. God says, Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. And this is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day, verse 29, we're at. No one is to go out, verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the point I want to make. And this is where we're landing this morning. 
Sabbath was natural to them. And it's sure as heck it's not natural to us. It's not. It's not natural to us. Sabbath was not natural to them. They had come from a work more, doing more regime. Work, 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 work. Make more, produce more, with less, with less. This is the culture that they came out of. So it's going to take time, it's going to take intentionality for you, just as it did for them, for Sabbath. For Sabbath to become a part of your weekly rhythm. And some of you are used to the life that says, do more, right? We just get caught up in that. That's the world. It's the only thing that we know that we do more, we produce more. Some of you are in the world of prove yourself more, achieve more, uh, perform more. You need to hear this this morning. You need to hear the words that God gave to Moses. You need to hear this this morning because these words are free. Bear in mind, if you live in that culture, this is what the Father is saying to you this morning. I think this is what God is saying through the ancient scriptures. It's alive and breathing this morning. If you're living in that culture, that pharaoh, anxiety, riddle culture of do more, produce more, earn more, buy more, spend more, drink more, 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 more. If you're in that culture, is that where your head is, your lifestyle is? If that's where you are, you need to hear this this morning. Bear in mind, if that's where you are, bear in mind this, that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Don't you love it? That the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It was a command and it's a gift. And I believe we can argue today that there's no command in the New Testament for us to Sabbath. And I would say you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Nor does it say in the New Testament not to drink 25 cups of coffee in a day. But if you do that, you'll be wired in the moon and your body be wrecked. But there's a story through scripture of Sabbath and rest. And Jesus does have some conversations around it in the New Testament. But there is no command. But I would say this, there's still a gift. There's still a gift. And I've been preaching this and teaching this for years and years. And I would say that throughout my time speaking and doing this, there is the biggest resistance to take Sabbath than anything else I've ever spoken of. Why? It's a culture we live in. We live in a feral society. To produce, to work, to get it done. And it's a western, western disaster. Isn't it? And it doesn't make us more fruitful. It doesn't make us more productive. It doesn't help us thrive. Like I said, right at the start, or halfway in there, there is always consequences to this when we refuse the gift of Sabbath it still stands it still stands today and I would love it if you would consider starting a beautiful revolution to say no to hurry to say no to now and get it done and pause for one day of the week to drink in, to breathe in, to rest, to worship, and to spend time with family and friends so that your soul will be filled, your life will be productive, and your family life healthier. Our God is a great big God, <laughs> and He does hold us in our hands.
Jesus is, uh, he's quite the guy, isn't he? Like, everybody loves him. Even people that don't yet know him, they, they love his teachings, they love his kindness. But I would say that when Jesus was about, and this might sound a bit irreligious to some of you this morning, please wear your grace hats. In all fairness, I think Jesus could have done with a PA or a PR person. Have you ever heard some of his invitations? Like, they're not brilliant. You know, like forgetting people to follow you? Come follow me and die. Like, <laughs> let me think about it, you know, I'll come back to you. Don't phone me, I'll phone you, you know. Uh, leave everything behind. Yeah, sure. I'll leave everything behind. Take up your cross and follow me. It's like, no, we watch that every day. We go past the place where people are being crucified. You want us to take up a cross. And so maybe, maybe a little PA and a little PR might have been nice. I'm sure if you came to the end of our 21st century churches, we would have like, everybody be over them. Here's what you can say. Okay, here's how long you've got. You've got 35 to 40 minutes, but please don't talk about tithing. Please don't talk about uh, the cross thing or don't talk about anything that, that, that sacrifice stuff. It's not cool. But he did have this one compelling invitation which was his mission statement, and I love it. He said this in John 10, 10. He said, I have come that you might have life and life to the full, or life more abundantly. And then Paul, he later rephrases that as he talks to his young um, mentor, a young apprentice who's planting churches called Timothy. He gives him this smart advice, and, and, and actually the context of the smart advice for Timothy is around a world of consumerism. And do more, get more, spend more, have more, possess more. And Paul has this father-son conversation with his apprentice called Timothy. And he uses this language. He says, find the life that is truly life. Find the life that is true life. And here's what I'm finding. Too many Christians are doing all the right stuff. All the good stuff. But they don't have the life that is truly life. We're signing up for this, we're doing this, we're volunteering, we're going to church, we're going to prayer meetings. Those are beautiful things. They're going to community groups, life groups, small groups, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're, they're doing all this, they're doing all that, but they haven't found a life that is true life. And I think sometimes we just make life too complex. That's my philosophy. We just make life too complex when we've been given a gift that we need. Last quote of this morning. Walter Brueggemann said this also. People who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. People who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. Let's stand.